Welcome to the Grab Lies Podcast. I am your co-host, John Vargas, along with my co-host, Trevor Steppen. I just want to introduce this podcast by reiterating that everything we say or do in this podcast does not reflect the City of Los Angeles Fire Department. This is the full disclaimer. So going into the introduction of this podcast, today a lot of the limelight is on Trevor. And Trevor is an astonishing human being. And his ability to use wit, humor, and discernment within this mecca of human behavior in our line of work is just so profound and wonderful to watch as a friend, as a coworker, and it's a great experience. If you've never experienced it, it's awesome to watch and it's magical. So I'd love to introduce Trevor into this podcast here and his story on how we changed the narrative of our lives, our inner monologue, and the importance of that. And I love to introduce a teaching, a understanding from one of my greatest teachers who had told me this concept. The concept goes like this. Life is a play. You are the director, the producer, and the actor. And most importantly, you are the screenwriter. And you can change it anytime you'd like. You have the power to do so. But unless you acknowledge that you have the power to become the author of your own life, your own narrative, then you will not step into the beauty of what this life has in store for you. And it's super important to acknowledge that and realize, yeah, we do have the power to change our narrative. The way we write our lives, our thoughts, the way we talk to ourselves. So, Trevor, John, go ahead, my mother. Thank you so much for that introduction, dude. You're so such a good friend, dude. That compliment, I received that, dude. Awesome. And um, yeah, you set the stage perfectly, okay? So we talk about tools in the toolbox, right? My entire life, I felt like a victim to my own emotions or my circumstances, right? I was one of those guys I was guilty of, you know, things are happening to me, right? So the, the tool that I started using is being careful with my language, right? Being the author of my inner monologue, and making it a positive one, right? Cheering myself on, being supportive, being compassionate, right? Because too often, dude, I mentioned that I was a perfectionist, right? As a way of avoiding criticism. But that was to avoid criticism from everyone else. While I'm trying to achieve perfection, I am literally criticizing myself. So we often talk about how attitude is everything. Well, sometimes it can be difficult. You mentioned discernment. I don't always know how to correct my attitude. And when I figured out that it, for me, it began with correcting my language, right? So if you're a first responder, the, the word narrative might mean something different to you than the average person, right? For us, it's a way of documenting an incident. What happened, right? We always hear like, you know, as a way of 
keeping you out of court, you know, like if you didn't put it in your narrative, it didn't happen, right? So for anyone else listening, it's a story. It's a story you tell to yourself. And it could be a story that someone else tells about you. And these, for me, were very dangerous, right? I just attached or associated to stories that were told about me because I didn't have that strong inner monologue. I wasn't the author of my own life, right? So as it pertains to suicide, okay, this is a, this is a dark path if your narrative gets out of your hands, right? If you start telling yourself you don't deserve love, or you don't deserve to live. These are very dangerous narratives. And so what we're going to elaborate on in today's podcast is just how you can take back control and rewrite a narrative, right? On this spiritual path, I'm sure everyone's seen a meme. It's not a staircase. It's not a straight line. It's, it's a cobweb of mm. learning and growing and unlearning. Mm. And for me, what came with the power of rewriting a narrative was forgiveness, right? Mm. Detaching from labels, disassociating from narratives. So the first narrative that I'd like to get into, super common subject in our line of work, divorce. I was married for seven years and... Um, I just tell people, you know, we grew apart, right? But what's funny is when I tell people, yeah, I'm divorced, the reaction 99% of the time is, oh, I'm so sorry. It's almost like, you know, someone died. And, you know, I'm always <laughs> yeah. like, no, dude, we're celebrating, actually. This was a big shift back into my own power. This was a big shift in getting honest with myself because I hid behind the narrative of a good husband okay so when i say good husband you know i like to believe that i showed up for my partner right we we were very good at comforting one another we had both been through a lot um and we were you know we were very sweet to one another but we were both very focused on our careers and there was a lot of problems that we never addressed so for me, right, if, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, right, I say that I'm a good husband. Why? Because I never cheated. Okay. But all day I'm flirting with nurses. The conversation would go very far. The conversation would end before I asked for someone's number, but it, it went, you know, it went too far. Right. And that shit fucked with me. You know, I started to look at myself like, you're on a 72 and you don't call home or she doesn't call you. You're getting honest with yourself. I mean, there's a very real possibility you're not going to like what you see. But the goal is to live in your truth, right? So I started examining, you know, what I thought about marriage, right? Is it possible that I'm determined to stay married because my parents got divorced, right? Am I motivated to do things differently than my dad? If I get divorced, does that mean that I'm just like my dad? Do I have the same problems? All this shit, right? So I went down a dark spiral of, you know, 
looking at myself and and act and asking myself am i living in integrity right because ultimately dude i was lonely and i was having all these thoughts come up and i was feeling really anxious and just like a lot of us do i was drinking dude i was drinking to numb those thoughts and i would postpone big arguments right big big talks about like hey should we go to counseling i mean i even went to a counselor on my own and i remember this dude he was awesome he was like a grad student so super young and it was free because he was a grad student i started crying in therapy and i said my poor wife and you know what he said poor you and dude it just like for him to say that you know because i'd been doing all of this work like secretly you know at the same time that i'm doing a pretty stressful job you know I'm, I'm running call after call in south la dude we used to average three hours of sleep on a 72 you know and it was tough dude it was it was tough to admit defeat but you know what the ultimate defeat is it's living a lie right it's living for someone else because she deserved to be loved more right and and so did i and so the relationship had just run its course. And when I started to write a new narrative that was like less dramatic, right? Because the first narrative was you're going to break this girl's heart. You are going to live a life full of regret and guilt. You know, that, that narrative is like, holy fuck, dude, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. You know, I'll just keep living this lie. So it was really scary, right? But then when you forgive yourself, right? When you realize that two people, you know, we're just not meant to be together, right? Um, and you write a new narrative that is, wow, we could, we could have a death and we could have a rebirth. And now, dude, the relationship I'm in right now is completely different. I act in integrity all the time. I talk to people as if Leah's standing right next to me. And that feels a lot better. So dude, the one thing I want to mention is if you're struggling in your marriage, absolutely talk to your partner first. You know, your partner doesn't deserve for you to talk behind her back or talk with the boys at the station, you know, the old ball and chain. I mean, these, these, these words that you're using to describe someone are dangerous, right? So that's just going back to if you're going to create a narrative, if you're going to write a narrative, be careful with your language, right? Because this affects us. And, you know, the thing I kept hearing was, cheaper to keep her and 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 dude with respect i've heard that term before. yeah that's a good one but you know and with respect to guys that are struggling in their marriage who have children right i did not have kids it changes everything okay and with respect to guys who are scared of working eight sod days a month to pay alimony like that's a fucking real concern and i i do want to respect everyone's situation but the reality is, dude, my parents stayed together until I was 18. They should have gotten divorced when I was 10. It's tough to balance the idea of money versus your own personal truth. Right. And sometimes people say this term, it's cheaper to keep her. That's kind of messed up. You well, know, in, in reality, it's like, well, you know, what are, you, what are your values here? Right. And it's kind of, it's a... It's a very interesting subject to bring up and interesting to look at as well. Like what's most important here? Absolutely. How, how are you writing this narrative? Absolutely, dude. I would much rather be happy and spend some money 
on a mistake or a you know a past relationship than live a lie right and when we're when we're referring to we say guys sometimes we're referring to all human beings here like men and women because it's just the nature of human nature right the primalness of each other so in a context that's what we're, we're saying here is not just guys just men that's not who we're referring to we're referring to the the entirety of the audience as human beings right absolutely there's a lot of women that are struggling in a relationship as well i think thank you for saying that so what i want to say is if you're if so at the time right i didn't have a good strong inner monologue i was not uh as good as i am at discernment right so what did i do i i let everyone weigh in Right. And guys would ask me, how long you've been together? I say seven years. They're like, oh, just, you know, you're almost there. I'm like, what? Almost, almost to death. Like <laughs> I can't, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm not happy, but there was one guy, there was one guy and he was a mentor of mine. He's an AO. Awesome dude. He's always been at busy assignments. Amazing teacher. An AO is an opera- apparatus operator who drives the truck. Right. For those who don't understand. Right. Our lingo here is the locker room leader. Okay, so this dude, he, he, we had a good relationship, right? We talked about work, but we also talked about personal life. He sat down next to me one day in the kitchen and he respected me. He knew that my mind was made up. He didn't try to change it. He said, here's what you got to do. You got to get a mediator. You got to start a timeline. And he gave me like an action plan. And it was so dope because he wasn't trying to disagree with me. And he had been down a similar road. So he like, it was just amazing for him to not challenge me. He just like, he encouraged me. He trusted me and I trusted him and he helped me a lot. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, it was definitely difficult because I did care about her, right? I didn't want to break her heart, but you know, um, adults are capable of feeling disappointment. And you know what's I a know. bigger disappointment is lying in bed next to someone and wishing you weren't there or wishing they weren't there. Without a doubt. You know, and that's what I was doing. I was given a lot of independence in my marriage and it was a slippery slope. I was, I, I craved independence. I wanted to be alone. So I thought, because I started dating someone very quickly after I split, right? I rebounded immediately, but I was also feeling like I was living a little bit more of my truth. You know what I'm saying? I was making decisions for me. Um, and it felt great, dude. I was going on camping trips all the time. Um, I was getting to know myself and there's so much advice coming in, dude. That's, and that's what we're preaching today, dude, is get to know yourself. So when you write that narrative, you, you trust that author, right? Because dude, people were telling me you have to mourn or grieve a marriage for like, two years for every year you were together i was like what the fuck who came up with that that statistic you know (laughs) and so there was a lot of advice coming in and i didn't i didn't really know how to how to go about it you know like i didn't know if i should start dating immediately luckily i mean i met someone at a car wash and like we just clicked so it wasn't like i had to sign up for an app or anything it was just like kind of fell into my lap and it was it was fun you know um but i wasn't addressing any of the underlying issues and i will admit that you know what i'm saying i felt like i was fine i hit the ground running but things would pop up dude i mean and i was i was not dealing with these issues you know what i'm saying like 
Dude, erectile dysfunction? I mean, like a therapist will tell me, hey, that's because you're not, you haven't grieved the loss of an intimate partner and you haven't freed yourself of a lot of this shame and this guilt for detonating someone else's life. What did I do? Just buy some Viagra. All good. Back in the back in the game. So, dude, I mean, really rough road, but ultimately what I learned was, like you said, we're the actor, director, producer. Something that's come up for me recently is behind the scenes. Mm. All the shit that's not in the limelight. Right. You know what I'm saying? So It all plays a purpose. Dude. Yeah, I, I mean, let's go back to erectile dysfunction. Sure. So we talked the last podcast about shame. Yeah. And men have this distinct relationship with shame where it'll actually affect their bodies. Yes. And so uh, just to get into the details of like how shame manifests within men, it could manifest in erectile dysfunction. Yeah. And we also talked about how firefighters have men in particular who have a low testosterone count, which is, Mm -hmm. it's very common because of the stress level we deal with, the cortisol that's pumping through our body, it dysregulates our hormone levels, especially when you don't sleep very often. It's going to do that. And so you have that one time where your testosterone is probably low, your libido is low, and that happens. Yeah. And it causes shame. And when that starts to manifest into the into the mind, it starts to create a ripple effect. Right. And so that's when we're talking about here is the narrative when you have something that starts to creep in like that mm-hmm. into the mind, yes, we have to understand that the mind is like a computer. Whatever you feed it, it's going to operate off like an operating system, like a computer. Mm-hmm. If you can understand that concept and know that it's like a virus entering in and it can, it can lead to intrusive thoughts, it can oh. lead to these, these stories we create in our minds. Fear is the virus. Yeah. Dude, as soon exactly. as that occurs one time, it is very hard. Fear is a very... So what we're talking about fear here. What's what's uh, cool is that this, this guy named Zig Ziglar, he's like a motivational speaker from the 1970s, and he referred to fear as false evidence appearing real. Yeah, I've heard that. And it's it's a, literally a frequency. You can, you can look up... Neurologists will actually study when someone's going through an aspect of fear. It creates its own frequency. Mm-hmm. And if you can understand that and... and complexity it's not that complex it's very simple it's altering the frequency of your being down to the thought level of you creating a downward spiral with yourself Mm. and when we're talking about behavioral health here holy shit we have something here oh yeah if fear is when it it creeps in you have the power to change that narrative to change the direction of where that's headed and you have the power to stop it Mm -hmm. and so that's where we're diving into this right now because of how we create our narrative is so valuable and we can stop ourselves from being hey wait hold on a second here i'm not going to allow this right to create something that i don't agree with yes and so or i don't trust right right you shouldn't trust a fear-based narrative that shit is dramatic it's talking about doom and gloom end of the world you're going to be alone all this shit that's like Dude, I thought about this the other day. <laughs> like, I had a great relationship with my ego. So I thought for my entire life. Right. If I had a friend that lied to me as often as my ego did, I would block them, dude. <laughs> they, they would not be in my phone, dude. They would not be someone I turned to. Right. And yet my ego is like my partner in crime. Right. Why? 
because the brain wants to keep you safe, right? It doesn't give a shit how happy you are. That's why yeah. you got to get back into your heart. Exactly. So I thought, I thought I was in my heart with this new relationship, this rebound. I was not. Okay. I was, I had a best friend that I drank with. And it was exciting. It was thrilling, you know? So that's why I wanted to stop you for a second here. Okay. We're talking about, so when you're telling someone you got to live through your heart, this is, I'm going to break it down for you. Mm -hmm. So there is a website called heartmath.org. It's an organization that they are studying that there are neurons, 60,000 neurons in the heart, meaning that it's operating off a neurological level. And so what they've done is that they realize that there's a heart-mind coherence, and it creates waves, electromagnetic frequencies to the mind, and they're a team. Mm. And so, but when you operate through the heart space, you're actually able to create a better of a found, better foundational level to operate through the mind, because the mind can run its course, and it can go off course. Oh yeah. And so if you sink in with what you're feeling, yes, and find your truth through the heart space, it has this coherence. And right. a friend of mine had mentioned to me that the way this works is if you can visualize something, I'm always bringing in the power of visualization. Mm -hmm. And he said that when you're driving an airplane or you have an airplane in operation, you have a pilot. And many people operate this airplane with the mind as the, as the pilot with the heart all the way in the back seat. That's not how this works. Your heart's supposed to be the pilot while the mind is the co-pilot of that airplane. Nice. And we're, we're shifting the consciousness of how this works because there is, it's been proven with science that this is how you're able to operate at a, at a clear level with the self. Yes. And it's been proven through action, through my own experience, exactly. dude, when my intuition, right? So I started, right, in our last podcast, we, tried, we, we talked about uh, logical thinking. Mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of phenomenons, right? So I've been a thinker my entire life. So I haven't always trusted my intuition because intuition is not always easy to explain. It's a gut feeling. Exactly. And so I really had to get honest with myself and start living in my truth so that I could cancel out a lot of these distractions, a lot of these noises, you know, and get into a place where I could feel my intuition telling me things and I trusted that narrative. And you're saying gut, right? Yeah. Gut is another portion that is found to have a mass amount of neurons within oh, the gut. Dude, your second brain. So you have three portions here of the body. You have the gut, the heart, and the mind. And so these three centers are collaborating with one another. And there's a reason why people are saying, trust your gut feeling. Right. I mean, that, that is a, a saying that's been passed around for I don't know how many thousands of years. Who knows? Yeah. But there's a reason for that. And so if you have if you have poor gut health, you're going to have a, a poor intuition with that area of your body. Absolutely. So if you can, we're going to tap into nutrition later down the road and how important it is, vital, because there's neurons there. And if you have a clear gut, then you're able to operate with that gut feeling and that intuition level of that area of your body. Absolutely. And same with the heart. I mean, you have to always, if you're not used to tapping into that space and you start to learn or unlearn your different programs and patterns and, and go into that area, now you're operating off a superhuman capability of understanding life. Mm -hmm. And all it is is just lost knowledge. And right. it's coming back to fruition at this time because of the shift in consciousness that's occurring 
within the past decade. Right. And it's happening very quickly, as we can see. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to relay that information because it's super important and vital. Yeah, dude, it, it is. And I don't want to breeze over it. You know what I'm saying? Like when yeah. I say live in, live in your heart, I mean, for me, it's taken me years to even understand what that means. But I think going back to the story of how I felt as a husband, dude, I was good, man. Like I acts of service, words of affirmation, supportive, you know, like I was good, but I wasn't acting in integrity. Right. So I couldn't look at myself in, in the mirror and say, this is the love of your life. You know what I'm saying? Like I saw it ending. And each day that you go on living with someone, but, but ultimately you see shit ending. That's not a life I want to live. Right. Dude, I see myself growing old with Leah. I see like a notebook ending. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So yeah, man. I mean, it's difficult, but here's the, you got to cancel out a lot of the noise, right? And a lot of the, right. my noise comes from my head. So that's another thing is like, well, how can I, how can I tune into my heart space for me? Nature. We've talked a lot right. about swimming and how water has been my medicine for the last year or so. But prior to that, dude, I used to unplug. I used to hit the 395 in my four cylinder Tacoma and like just by myself, dude, bring my dirt bike. I wouldn't even have a camping site, dude. I would just, I would just go get lost in like Lone Pine, you know, like it was awesome. And I would sit by a fire and I would just like talk with myself or just like feel out how my life is going, you know? And a lot of it was improving. You know what I'm saying? I transferred stations. That was a huge one for me, dude, because this first station I was at in South LA, amazing station. And like I said, dude, that mentor that I was with, he, he helped me a lot. You know what I'm saying? So I had amazing role models all around me, but one day, dude, my my second partner i've always been blessed with amazing partners on the rescue dude my second partner great dude um he looked at me and he said you should transfer and i dude it fucking hurt my feelings dude but the reason he said that it was out of kindness he knew i was struggling he knew that i was you know ending a marriage i was burning the candle at both ends right i would come in dude some days i would say hey man can you give me an iv because I was hungover. And he knew that, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are first responders understand that empathy is not a continuous source, right? It, it can fluctuate a lot. And at that time, my empathy was on empty. It was on empty, dude. And I wasn't doing anything that I was ashamed of. But like, I just remember going on this one call where this like army vet, it's like 70 something years old with CHF and, and he was stable enough, but I didn't even speak to him. You know what I'm saying? Like I just, I just didn't like, I was like, let's go like get on the gurney. I'll, I'll do the 12 lead. I'll take you to the hospital. But like, I just didn't, there was no conversation at all. You know, there was no empathy. There was no compassion. And I felt like I was running on empty. And again, I wasn't healthy enough to rest. I wasn't healthy enough to take a nap at this stage in my life, dude. I'd take a pill, right? Take some Adderall, stay up for another day, stay sharp. You know, just, I, I used to say something so fucked up to this one dude at my station. I'd say the better the paint job, the less likely you are to pop the hood. <laughs> yeah, that's not a cry for help, dude. I don't know what is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause he would like say, Hey, your hair looks good or whatever. You know, I'd say you know, paint job metaphor. You know, because I didn't want to take a look. I didn't want him to take a look. 
I didn't want to take a look. I wasn't ready to. So long yeah, when you, process. When you're reaching dude. burnout, right? It's it's huge. And when you're in burnout, it's uh, there's different stages of burnout. Yeah. And I'm not going to break down burnout right now, but in essence, for those who don't understand what burnout is, it's a shift in someone who's dealing with uh, other people and, and caretaking. And what happens is you begin to have this feeling of apathy, which is a downward slippery slope. It's so numb, dude. It's very numbing and it doesn't feel good. And you actually start to uh, make poor decisions right. for yourself and, and how you operate within your life. And so what's difficult about it is when you're in burnout, it's already too late because you're already on that slippery slope yeah. and it, it's hard. So what we're, what we're doing here is giving the tools to not get to that point. And you have to listen to yourself always and, and check in with yourself to not get to the burnout stage and it can happen quickly. Right. And I've been there before I've been through burnout and being apathetic, you're, you're closing yourself off to the aspects of the superhuman right. and how we operate in our home life with our families, our friends, our lovers, and even in this job that poses very difficult situations and circumstances where we have to operate and have a, a clear focus on what we're doing here. And if you're in the burnout stage, it's, it's, it's rough. It's and, dangerous. And it's many dangerous people for you don't, and your yeah, patient. And many people don't call out for help when they're in the burnout stage. No, they won't even take a sick day. They won't even. And that's, that's the, that's the point here is what we're instilling is this burnout, this apathetic life and approach to what we're doing in this, this act of service in this career is it's very difficult. Yeah, and there's a lot of gray area, right? Because when I first got into this, a certain level of apathy protected me from all the fucked up shit we were seeing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I was desensitized. Mm. It felt like um, a force field, right? Right. So I, I experiment all the time. Sometimes I'm like super compassionate. You know, I have found that the day is easier. The shift is better when I'm kind to everyone. When right. I can find it in myself to be kind, dude, I have a, I have a, an amazing shift. When I can make people laugh, it's a great day. It does feel like I have to, you know, switch gears. It does require effort. And sometimes when you're tired, dude, you don't have the effort, right? You're shifting the narrative, right? Yes. Okay. So that's perspective. Absolutely. So going back to transferring stations, right? So one narrative was I can't hack it. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of pride in being at a busy station. Right. But I felt, dude, I felt like I was dying. You know what I'm saying? I was so tired, dude. And so it, it, I didn't even go to a that much of a slower station. But what, what I was proud of was I didn't attach to that narrative. Right. Right. Because I had a blast while I was there. I did a good job. And the new narrative that I created was I have an opportunity to work with some of my friends, right? I knew who I was going to work with. It was a smaller station. So again, canceling out a lot of noise, focusing on me, focusing on this rebirth of, okay, now I'm single. What does that mean? And get, dude, get to know a new part of the city, you know? Yeah. And it helped a lot. We're talking about busy stations here. If anybody can grasp what busy is, we're talking about the moment we walk into the door, you're getting a call and you don't have a chance to eat most of the time. I say 90%, 80, 90% of the time. You don't get a chance to yeah, eat a meal. I used to eat lunch at four and dinner at 10. So that's the business we're talking about. And on top of that, 
you don't get a chance to uh, just do normal things you usually do at the station, like get dressed. <laughs> and that's the way that the system is set in place at these busy, busy locations. And you're just running call after call after call, fire after fire after fire. Right. And it's just, it's it's a lot. It's, a, it's very busy. And I mean, what would you say? I mean, some engines on a busy station, they run like, what, 30, 30 runs? Yeah, 30 is probably a great number for... Which is a lot. That's it's a, a lot. It's yeah. a lot of calls. And in a 24-hour period? That's a lot. And, and we are in one of the highest populated areas very dense in the united states of america mm-hmm. and this is the nature of our job and just is dealing with this call volume and dealing with what is presented to us every single shift at these busy stations i i definitely have a great honor for everyone who's at those busy stations a lot I, of I've talent been, i've been there yeah i've been in those busy stations and it was it was taking me out and i had to kind of wave a white flag for myself internally be like, is this is not healthy for me at this moment in time right now? Absolutely, and what a great narrative! What a compassionate narrative! This moment in time, and that's the that's the beauty of it, John. Is narratives can be rewritten. Right. You may go you may go back to a busy station, but but being honest with yourself and saying this moment in time, I'm going to focus on something else. That's what I had to do. I was, you know, hiding and avoiding from all these right. things I was feeling, these guilt and shame about ending a marriage, you know, this guilt and shame about this happiness I was feeling. Dude, I didn't fully receive my own happiness, how excited I was to have a fresh start on life, you know, because I, I felt like I, it had come at the cost of hurting someone. Right. But honestly, dude, and that's what, you know, going back to your gut and your intuition, how is living with someone and not loving them fully how is that not hurting them that's rough yeah it is you know and we don't you know we don't talk but i I, i've heard from people that she's she's well off right she's happy she's moved on you know and 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 that's good and that's what you have to realize it's like you you're responsible for you you're not responsible for someone else right you know and so i was i started to become responsible for me and it came in in stages you know what i'm saying like right. i i started to listen to myself more i started to spend more time in nature but i was still living life in the fast lane dude <laughs> like i didn't i don't think i had a therapist at that time you know i was um i was using guys at work as my therapist for sure i was like hey i'm single again you know like what do you got for me? Because, <laughs> I, dude, I honestly, I had it so wrong, dude. I thought I was going <laughs> to, I thought girls were going to not uh, like the fact that I was divorced. No one fucking cared, dude. <laughs> I mean, so I, I was telling myself all these lies, you know? Yeah. So, again, shame, right? You can't trust that narrative, dude. And it took me a long time to realize that. I saw something recently. It was a great post, dude. One of my favorite accounts on Instagram is the Holistic Psychologist. I'm obsessed, dude. Yeah. <laughs> all, all their posts are just incredible. And it was like the the dirty dishes in the sink aren't about the dishes. You know, if you have a reaction, an overreaction to dirty dishes in the sink, you're probably listening to a narrative that says you're not valued, or no. you know, you're working really hard and no one else is. You know, and, and I'm guilty of that, dude. I'll get into how. Working at the time of COVID made me very polarized. You know what I'm saying? Let's get into it now. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> dude, you know my human design, right? Shadow of oppression. Yeah. No one's got it as bad as me, right? The flip side of that is transmutation. That is, these things happening for you in your life are meant to make you evolve. 
They're meant right. to help you level up. And that's been a very big shift in my narrative. So when COVID first hit, right, this is 2020, so I'm single, I'm dating. It's thrilling, right? We were, Sometimes being busy is fun, dude. You know, it's just you're, you're delirious. You're going on call after call, right? We used to... Dude, I, I mean, I used to use it to my advantage, right? Someone calls for knee pain. I'd be like, the city's in a pandemic. Like, you can't call 911 for this. Get back inside. It's not safe out here. You know, just like everything was, there was so much fear, right? And sometimes, you know, I'd manipulate that. But I remember this one time we left the hospital. We're coming back at midnight, dude. And I saw tanks. It's just me <laughs> on an ambulance and the National Guard, dude. I felt like this is cool, man. This is a great job. This is pretty far from a fucking desk job, you know? Like, right. I made it. That got old so fast, dude. <laughs> it was thrilling for like one year, and then it was like, holy shit. You know, you mentioned burnout. Dude, the relationships we have with nurses and hospitals, it was so bad, dude. I mean, now hospitals close, right, for ED saturation, which is they don't have enough nurses, they don't have a be enough beds. I get hung up on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, I'm not making a dinner reservation. I'm calling you because I have a critical patient. Dude, and it's just like, you know, when you have a commitment to professionalism, I honor you, I respect you so much because we're all going through shit. You know, when I get yelled at from 20 feet away to put a mask on, when I'm literally like crossing the threshold, it's like, dude, dude your box of masks is empty outside. Can you just hand me one? Like we work together all the time. You know what I'm saying? So like so much fear, so much fear going around. And like I said, at first, the narrative, the language that I was choosing for how to describe my environment was it's thrilling. So how do you think my body reacted to that? I was energized. I felt amazing, right? Three years in, <laughs> I'm not saying this is thrilling anymore. I'm starting to say I'm an Uber driver. I hate this. I need to look for a second career. I need to start over. All of these things, dude. And how's my body going to perform when I talk to it like that? It starts shutting down, right? So I felt more exhausted than I've ever felt in my life, running on empty as far as empathy. And I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, treating myself with respect. I mean, no offense to Uber drivers. I mean, I, I drove for Uber when I worked at, uh, when I was in paramedic school, you know, but like we do more than that. You know, a lot of times it can feel like we're just moving people around the city you know we're taking them from this bus stop to that hospital whatever and they're going to be out two hours later and and that it was dangerous for me to 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 tell myself that like this this system is broken you're a pawn in this system you know especially dude if i have six after i mean recently dude i had a shift for 24 hours we didn't stop we didn't stop at all like there was no sleep and in the morning, I felt horrible. And I was telling myself, you know, my fear-based narrative is super dramatic. It was like, you're dying. <laughs> Dude. And that makes you feel like shit. Yeah. You know, so what I try to do is if I catch myself talking like that, I, I, comp I, do, I say, enough with this drama. I say, you are tired. Do not trust this fear-based narrative. Let's talk about some truth right now. Some truth is you will rest, you will recover eventually. You are not dying, you just need a break. Yeah. And that makes me feel so much better, so much more energized, so much more clear, right? So much more, um, less of a victim, less in survival mode, right? Because yeah. a lot of these narratives, dude, paint us as victims. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I mean, 
when I hear a narrative come up that's so negative, like I'll hear something in my head say, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, and right. I look up like, hey man, what the hell? Why <laughs> hey, are you doing that to me right now? Why are you doing that to me right now, man? I'm not really uh, ready for that. I'm right. kind of tired. Yeah. I don't really feel like hearing that. Right. And it comes in. And so when we acknowledge the unattachment yeah. to our thoughts, that you are not your thoughts, then you can access a better clarity of who you are. Right. Because thoughts come and go. And yes. that's normal for everybody. And like my favorite thing is is uh, addressing like Tibetan Buddhism or Zen Buddhism because these monks, they their whole purpose is to find nirvana of the self and end the all suffering. Mm. That is like that is the purpose of, of Buddhism. Right. And in essence, like to do that, to end all suffering, you have to unattach yourself from your thoughts because your thoughts create suffering. They do. And we all create our own suffering and we create these things in our in our minds that are like these small pockets of doors and you open it and there's something else you created there. Mm-hmm. Oh, there there's there's a, a, a something that call I call uh, um I'm a piece of shit. Right. And right. I created that since I was like eight years old. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is in- interesting when you unattach to them, it's a different perspective and now you can shift the narrative and say, I am not a piece of shit. I I love myself. I admire myself. Mm-hmm. And er, your inner monologue is the most important part about creating a narrative because you're able to shift the way you talk to yourself. Yes. And when you do that, it's super important. And I mean, COVID for me was, I mean, everybody had a harsh experience because of the depressive nature it came with. Right. I, I mean, I remember getting off a shift, just getting no sleep, just taking patient after patient. And it was very difficult. And I just, I came home, I chugged a beer, took a shot of tequila, took a shower, and I slept for 16 hours mm-hmm. to prepare for my next shift. Right. And at that point, that was for Solid myself. preparation. <laughs> for myself, I was like, hold on a second here. This is, this is not appropriate behavior to just... Um, to numb myself it's not gonna change anything right it's not, it's not what are you doing anything. you're postponing i'm just numbing myself yeah procrastinating yeah. it's a slow death it's it that's a slippery slope as well yeah and addiction is something we are addressing at this time as well and when you're hit with uh the tide of all these things smacking you in the face mm-hmm. no sleep high call volume divorce, whatever it may be, whatever these catalysts present to you as for you to change and you start numbing yourself, that's not what the point is for these lessons in life. No, you're supposed to listen. You're supposed to Exactly. You're supposed to tune in. I'm very happy you brought that up. Listening is a great key to changing the narrative. Right. And when you listen to the, the stupid mind, Mr. Stupid, Mrs. Stupid, they're going to tell you lies. They're going to tell you, you know, this, that, whatever. And you can change it by not allowing yourself to enter into that space of accepting a false narrative. Right. And it comes up all the time. You know, it it can come up in so many different ways. And the important thing to do is to stop, ask yourself, is this for my highest good? Mm -hmm. Because at this point you're at, you're, you are now operating within universal laws. Yeah. Now my biggest thing is operating with universal laws because once I start tapping into the quantum field and quantum physics, and you acknowledge that this life can be created by you, you have to also work within universal laws like cause and effect, 
which is a correlation to karma. It's a perfect example. It's a pendulum. Whatever you do, there's a repercussion for it in the end. Mm. So your actions, your behavior is very important. Um, one of those things is the law of allowing. Now, this is a very important universal law when you're talking about narrative. When you have the intrusive thoughts, when you have that stupid narrative that's talking to you, now you have the choice with the power of choice to not allow those thoughts to become something and manifest within. And what you can do is ask yourself, hey, is this for my highest good? Yes or no? If the answer is no, you can continue on and say, hey, I want to replace this with trust for myself and trust in my highest ability to operate with my life of gratitude. Yeah. And that's that's just how I operate. That's how I started shifting my perspective and shifting my practices with my thoughts alone. Dude, I love it. And honestly, you know what it made me think of is if you had an abusive parent or if you had anyone in your life that verbally abused you, you're less likely to react to this negative monologue. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like for the longest time, I was like, this is the language that I speak to myself, right? (laughs) Dude, if you're telling yourself you're a piece of shit or you don't deserve to live or be happy, you have a major fucking security breach. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you're absolutely right. We cannot allow ourselves to talk to us this way. Right. And I love this tool in the toolbox because it's so simple. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as breath work. How you talk to yourself, that you can correct that immediately. And dude, I noticed this when I started swimming laps. So it's amazing how much anxiety you get from, you know, being out of breath in water. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I've never never had so much anxiety like jogging or doing anything like that. You just slow your pace down. But swimming laps for me brought about a lot of anxiety. So I had to get my breathing under control. My best days at the pool, I talk to myself like... It's like father and son. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, great job, dude. <laughs> that was an amazing, that was an amazing flip turn. Your strokes are so clean. You know what I'm saying? Like encouraging. Right. And dude, around the time of our um, fourth miscarriage, I um, I started to help me with discernment, to help me identify which narratives i wanted to listen to i started breaking myself up into inner child ego and higher self and you helped me so much when you encouraged me to sit down at a table with these three you know what i'm saying and ask them what do they need you know because i remember this one time right you know a lot of people told me and it's true right for the female in a miscarriage it's it's so much worse right it's so much worse and Continue. And so what I did was I sort of numbed what I was feeling. And I would start to feel after like a week or so of just like completely turning the volume down on how I was feeling so that I could show up for Leah, I started to feel irritable and I started to feel a little agitated. And I went out to my porch and I... I set an intention for meeting these three and having like a meeting, having like, like, okay, let's check in. And my ego was pissed at me. He was like, you're pretending like nothing, nothing's fucking wrong. (laughs) He was like, I'm terrified. I'm so scared. And I was like, dude, I hear you, but we're not going to respond to this fear. We're going to connect to the love that is between Leah and I, and we're going to connect to the gratitude and we're going to connect to hope. 
And just by hearing him, I started to feel less irritable. I started to feel less agitated. And again, like I connect with my inner child when I go to the pool. Dude, my inner child doesn't want to get yelled at for learning how to swim better. He wants to be encouraged. He wants to be cheered on. So that's the way I talk to him. And then, dude, you, you and I both know about higher self, dude. When you start listening to your higher self, that narrative is so recognizable. Dude, it's like undeniable. Like right. I've had a, a, a tough time detaching from my ego. But when my higher self starts to talk to me, and like you said, is this in... What were your exact words? Is this for my best good? Or is this for my highest good? Is this for my highest good? When you, dude, when you hear that voice that's telling you, what guiding you, and you know it in your heart that it's for your highest good, dude, I love connecting with my higher self. Yeah. I couldn't find him for the longest time, man. Yeah, when you fully, when you fully integrate uh, all parts of yourself, uh, it actually creates uh, a more divine essence of the self. And so this concept of inner child ego or the conscious self or the conscious mind and the higher self, these are parts of the self that have been recognized by different ancient traditions on all accounts. Uh, The Egyptians, from the Mayans, from uh, Chinese cultures, these ancient traditions had acknowledged that these are portions of the self that you must acknowledge because they are a part of you. And... There, there's a lot more to go deeper into with it. Yeah. And so, in essence, the inner child is actually what rules the body. And if it's out of sync with different portions of not being heard or not being accepted for certain things of you denying it, of its of its purpose, mm-hmm. you could have a lot of physical imbalances. And this right. has been proven uh, on multiple accounts that this, this is what, how it works. And the conscious mind is essentially the false mind. It's always gonna operate off a linear uh, value of however it's perceived within your own mind mm-hmm. which is kind of hard to grasp right but the higher self overlooks and is the caretaker of of both the inner child and the conscious self the witness and as you integrate all of them through meditation through different practices it's important to acknowledge them and so what i had mentioned to you to do is sit down at, at a table and invite these parts of yourself to the table through the power of visualization mm-hmm. and ask each of them what they need yeah. and, and they will tell you and uh, for myself i've done it uh, with different par- parts of myself like i've done it with my my nine-year-old self i've done it with my 13 year old self who was an anarchist punk skateboarder kid yeah who was an asshole right and wants to just create havoc and i've done it with like my 19 year old self who has a lot of grief from just uh, being alone in this world and not having any support and taking on a full responsibility of stepping into this field of becoming a firefighter and working up to, you know, getting hired by a great department and who I am now. And when I would sit down with these parts of myself, I would ask each and one of them what they, what they would require of me. And what if, what have I been avoiding from each and each and every one of them? It's a really powerful meditation. Yeah. If you can do it, it's it's not crazy. <laughs> For those who don't have a a meditation practice, you don't have to. You can just by just using the power of your mind and being able to visualize it, it it works. Yeah. And it's just making a relationship with yourself and being able to step into that part of your being which is multidimensional and very powerful. 
And we can be superhumans if we allow ourselves to be and be rid of all these belief systems and conditionings we grew up with. And the best parts of ourselves are the small integrative parts that have not, that have been left out. Right, right. So it's yeah. important. You have to incorporate your shadow. That too. You have to incorporate. For me, dude, I had to incorporate my, my inner child, right? So I had, dude, I leveled up a few times in my life where I felt like I completely changed. You know, I was really like sarcastic and angry as a kid. And then I started to like kind of lead with love after like my first trip to Costa Rica. I lived there for six months after college. And the problem was that I felt like a new person, but I kind of left the old person behind. It wasn't until I met Leah that she was like, you have to incorporate that. Don't leave him behind. He wants to be here. He wants to be with you. He wants to be loved. He needed something at that time. Can you give him that now? And I could, dude. And it was mm. it was amazing because, you know, the things that I liked doing when I was a kid, I still like doing, you know? And it's a really simple formula. It's either riding something, two wheels, you know? Yeah. It's drawing or being artistic or having some sort of creative outlet. And then it's swimming, you know? And these are things that are so simple. But I had to really, like, cancel out all this noise to, to, to just listen to his simple requests, you know? Right. And invite him to the party you know because <laughs> i kind of turned my back on him for a minute yeah so dude i want to tell a story about work because it was a it was a moment in time where like i really had to like choose which narrative i was going to listen to yeah okay so this one day dude this is like two years into covid um i was on like day two or day three and we got a cardiac arrest and we go to someone's driveway and it was witnessed by bystanders. So we knew we had a shot, right? Cause it's all about time. Mm -hmm. You know, the quicker you can get there, the quicker you can do CPR. And so we, dude, we, I just went into like overdrive. Right. And I started, you know, doing everything correctly. Like got an IV, gave Epi, gave amiodarone, gave one shock and we got Rosk. And I was like, Fuck yeah. To, to break that down, it's a return of spontaneous circulation. It's when you, someone is in cardiac arrest and you bring them back to life, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's what you're trying to achieve. Right. right. You're trying to get pulses back. So as a paramedic, it's a good feeling. Right. So we loaded up the patient and I'm noticing as we're loading the patient, I see the engine and I see the rescue and I see battalion. And I'm like, what? What are they doing here? So, anyways, we transport to the nearest STEMI and you know, we drop off the patient and I return to the station. And I asked my captain, hey, why was battalion on scene? I thought for a minute, well, it's an extra medic. He goes, No, 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 no. He was on scene because he wanted to give you this. This is your notice of non-compliance. You're not vaccinated yet. This is two years in, dude. This is two years of responding to COVID patients going into people's homes, getting coughed on. This is after I'd already gotten COVID. Remember I got COVID in yeah. Cabo and it was one of the best vacations <laughs> of my life. And I don't mean that to be desensitized, right? I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I know that a lot of listeners, I know you lost loved ones to COVID and I am not saying that it's not nothing. But what I am saying is that for two years, I kept myself healthy and I got it and I got over it. So to, to I thought I was going to get a pat on the back for getting, for a save at work and instead i got a, a letter that said we don't want you here and dude that fucked with me it's like a subpoena <laughs> it's like, yeah man it's like a you've been served i was served and it was so funny that it happened when i was feeling great about myself 
So there's the choice, right? Mm-hmm. Can I continue to feel great about myself or can I, do I have to listen to a superior and have him tell me that even though I saved someone's life, I'm, you know, I'm a threat to the public, right? So that was a really tough day for me. And I'm not going to lie. I, I spent a couple days really trying to figure out which narrative I wanted to lean into, you know, cause I was, <laughs> it's a fork I, in the road, I was resentful. very resentful and ultimately you know i went and got vaccinated because i love my job and i wanted to keep my job and i wanted to keep paying my bills um but the the turning point was me telling myself i am still worthy i am still valuable right because that letter made me feel really unworthy right and you know um we decide our narrative Right. And, and for the longest time, dude, I had outsourced my worthiness, you know, like I, I left that to the responsibility of others. You know, if you like me, great, I'm worthy. If you didn't fuck, I'm unworthy. It wasn't until I took back control and started realizing that I can remind myself that I'm valuable. I, I can remind myself that I'm worthy of love. I can talk to myself in a nice way, in the way that I talk to my friends. Mm-hmm. Right. It's amazing. You can say the nicest things in the world to the people around you, but you're not saying that to your own self. You have to have your own back. It's you. Like that that's it. Right? And right. you know, I'm guilty of when I first got with Leah, right? Like if she was happy, I was happy, you know? It took me a long time to to really not trust that fear-based narrative. If we're in a fight, then I'm you know, I I'd tell myself I'm a piece of shit <laughs> just because she's mad at me. Right. right. And, you know, and that's, it's all survival mode. It's all fear-based stuff where if we're in a fight, just a little fight, I'm telling myself that she doesn't love me anymore. I mean, that's pretty fucking dramatic, but that's dude, that's how I talk to myself. Right. right. So the ability to, to not allow that anymore, the ability to prioritize showing myself love and kindness Dude, now, if she's mad at me, okay, take some space. It's no big deal. Because basically what I was telling her was that she's not allowed to tell me if she's mad at me. And that's the last thing I want, right? I want transparency. I want to hold space for her. I want to be a strong masculine so she can be a strong feminine. So I really had to get my shit under control. Yeah. And it starts with the narrative, right? Now, one of my favorite uh, people is Ram Das. And I love how he approaches the framework of consciousness. And his whole approach is, this man was a professor from Harvard, and he just wanted to just pack his bags and go to India and just study Hinduism and Hindu mythology and what they had to offer. And he basically just would just meditate all day and like do like the you know the swami monk stuff and he says after doing all that stuff he still has issues with his thinking mind yeah. and his ego it doesn't matter how much you meditate or how much you can uh, access you know the highest parts of yourself or connect with your higher self or whatever you're still going to have to have thoughts come through but it doesn't mean you have to acknowledge them or invite them in Right. That's the whole point there is is the unattachment to the thoughts. Yeah. Because your mind can travel and it's going to do that all the time. It's just how it works. Right. But when you don't take things personally, 
and you start to shift your perspective and realize when you're in the seat of self watching all your thoughts all around, like just traveling around in circles, it doesn't mean you have to acknowledge them and invite them in and accept them. And when you do that, you can now shift it with your own narrative and tell yourself things. Mm -hmm. And so my favorite thing, one of my favorite practices is to use a mantra. Nice. And so we talked about, you know, uh, the power of words and words, whether you believe it or not, are super valuable within the quantum field. Now there's this, uh, there's this doctor called Dr. Emoto and he wrote this, this book called the power of water. Yes. So he, he, what he did is he got, um, uh, four different glasses of water Yes. and with each glass he would, he would say a word to the water. And after he would say the word to the water, he would freeze it and he'd take a microscopic picture of that water. So with one water, he would say, arigato. Thank you. And then the other one, he'd say, I hit you in Japanese. I only know arigato. The whole point is like, he would say uh, certain things to these waters. And so one water where he said something beautiful, like, I love you that picture would show sacred geometry patterns. Yes. Crystallized nature. Right. Beautiful other, snowflake. Beautiful snowflake. Yeah. The other one, it would be distorted. Yes. And he was he was proving that water, for one, carries information. And then secondly, that your words are super powerful. Very powerful. And the human body is made up of 80% of water. I think 80 or 85%, something like that. And so your words mean a difference within the quantum field. That, right. was, that was the whole point of this experiment he, he continued with this experiment and took took it to another level with different other uh, projects he had but the whole point of this is that within the quantum field whether you, you may believe it or not your words are so important they're so powerful and so just take a second when you're talking to someone and acknowledge that your words mean more than what you could imagine or fathom right and just under, just understand that someone may take it okay you know if you're just joking or whatever but it's it, it it's gonna resonate within the system yeah on an energetic level within the quantum field so going back to a mantra a mantra is a phrase or a set of words you provide for yourself whenever a circumstance comes up now for myself i would use uh it's just like a simple mantra like i believe in you jonathan i believe in you fully and i trust you yeah, that's that's what would come through whenever there would be an intrusive thought or whenever there would be an adverse emotion that would come up for me. I would tell myself that. Yeah, because what I'm doing is I'm replacing something from a negative frequency and raising it up with a higher frequency. And we can do that. And you understand this quantum field of what we live in this this life we call it's just a big game. And if you know the rules and how to operate it. You can change it for yeah. the better of your good. And so if you tell yourself beautiful things, you're going to have a beautiful outcome. And it's very simple. It seems not believable, but it is. Well, we're not, we're not taught it. I wasn't taught right. it. You know what I'm saying? And like, it, dude, it's all about rewriting that narrative. Exactly. You know, like unlearning, unlearning your patterns, your conditioning, all of this stuff. It's, dude, it becomes addicting. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because like a lot of us will have a narrative that we didn't get the parents that we deserved or wanted or whatever. You have the power to parent yourself now. 
You know, right. if I grew up wanting to be told, hey, I'm proud of you, I can say that to myself and it feels good, you know, and I've, I've, I've done this. I've witnessed it. You know, if you don't want to put a label on a water bottle and put it under a microscope, just, just try this. I've, I've done it on the way to a hospital before seven minute ETA, you know, where I switch from fuck this. I hate this <laughs> to man. I'm really grateful for this job. Yeah. And maybe I'll get a coffee after this run and maybe I'll FaceTime Leah and tell her how much I love her. And you're doing such a good job, Trev. You're taking someone's loved one to the hospital and they value you and they appreciate you. Even if they might not say it, you're helping them. Right. And dude, I feel better. I feel energized. I'll turn up the volume on the radio, dude. I'll, you know, like listen to a song or something, dude. Just completely switch my mood. And this is a practice. This is this is something you give to yourself. It's like lifting weights. Right. And this part of you is, is atrophied over a lifetime, perhaps. Yeah. And so if you're exercising it, it may not feel like it's working right then and there. But if you stick to it and you practice this, it's going to help you and you're going to feel it down the road. Because I, it's a practice, like like just like exercising any, any other muscle in your body. Right. Yeah, dude, I had affirmations written out in my bathroom once and I would read them every once in a while. But this is when I was in my marriage, dude. I wasn't living a life of truth. You mm -hmm. know, now when I say things to myself, I'm so proud of you. I believe it. And when you believe it, you feel the effects. Yes. I mean, that's the power, whether we'll call it, you know, a phenomenon, call it <laughs> placebo, whatever. Right. You, you have know? to, you have to believe things as well. You have to shift your belief system. It's hard to unravel belief systems because they're hardwired into your system. Yeah. And to reverse or unpack those, it takes, it takes a while. And so, you know, from all the suffering we cause ourselves, it's going to take a while from a lifetime of suffering to begin to shift. And the way we do that is by sticking to your practices because they're going to center and ground you. We talked about anchoring in, having your 10 toes down on the ground, yeah, remembering who you are and being essential to that part of your being and digging down within the roots of self. Now you can enter that into your practice of changing your narrative by just changing the way you talk to yourself. Right. And it's very simple. It really is. And if you don't, it's not really talked about at all. You know what I mean? I don't, no one ever really taught me this until I had come across things later in life where I had to suffer suicide ideation. Right. And when I went through something so traumatic and I had to deal with suicide ideation, I realized like, holy shit, what am I going to do here? How do I fix this? Yeah. And it's just, not, it's nothing to fix. It's just your, uh, just shifting perspective and acknowledging how things are operating like your mind and that it's just telling lies and it's just running its course. And over time it begins to work for you and it's going to be your highest motivator with the ego mind. Yeah. It doesn't have to be your enemy. Right. It can be a working force for you. And I always, now I, I see my ego and my conscious self as a warrior who got me through the hardest times that uh, I had to get through, through um, just, really tough things physically, mm. you know, like going through different fire academies or cutting line on a hand crew and being working 16 hours a day and just hot, hot weather and being dehydrated. I, that part of my mind was 
like the reptile part of my mind where I just was able to get through it and it was a motivator. Yeah, the ego is helpful. Yeah. But he's not um he's not the best planner for me. He's certainly not <laughs> certainly not like a you know, a therapist or right. he doesn't calm shit down for me. No, for he sure. He fires me up, you know. So I gotta know no. I gotta know which arena to bring him in. You know, yeah. and a lot of times my ego will try to win a battle. Let's it's say like, I get it's beat like taming up. A, a feral animal. Yeah, dude. And like, let's say I get beat up all day at a shift, right? Well, I'm I'm kind of itching to win a battle, so I need to make sure that I bring myself and my ego to the proper arena, whether that's right. the pool, whether that's the gym, whether it's time to myself to meditate to calm myself that you know down that way. But I noticed, dude, if I get beat up and I'm trying to win a battle and I don't police myself, if I'm not responsible with my ego, he's going to try to win a stupid fucking battle at home. Right. He's going to try to pick a fight for no reason. So understanding yourself, understanding all these parts are super helpful. And, dude, it's all about taking back control. Because I mentioned, dude, double Capricorn. Dude, I'm a control freak. My entire life, though, I was trying to control everyone else. What the fuck? I mean... I can't, right? I was trying to control their perception of me, right? But I never tried to control my inner monologue. Right. So imagine that you're trying to control 10 opinions from others versus your own opinion of yourself. Right. I mean, if you want to talk about being efficient, where you should put your time and energy into, come on. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty it plays obvious. a huge role to sovereign, sovereignty, right? Sovereignty, dude. Remember I told you, okay, I thought it was my destiny to end my life. I really did, dude. And I was brainwashed. That's a, that, dude, I thought I was cursed because my mentor had done it, right? I told you that was like my right. first, my first sort of initiation of the fire department is like, oh shit, this job can kill you. And I'm not talking about line of duty death. I'm talking about depression, injury, and ultimately suicide. Right. And then, you know, I'm not going to give specifics on this because it's not my story to tell, but there, a mentor of mine, a man that was very, very close to me, almost like a father figure, ended his own life. And I was compared to him all the time. I was told that you're just like him. And, and in a good way, right? right? You're so generous. You're so affectionate, all these things. And I looked at him as this was his exit plan, you know, and it fucking scared me. So to take back control and not just be a victim to some destiny that you didn't even write. Right. That is real power. And the beauty of it is you can change it anytime. Right. That's, dude, when you start living life in sort of a fluid existence, when you start getting away from this polarity of right versus wrong, you know, in my household, dude, there can be right and right. I used to fight, I used to make comparisons, you know, uh, to try to win an argument, you know? And the reality is, is you can hold space for two people that are both right. Right. You know, and you don't have to stick to one narrative. Dude, how often do you hear guys at slow stations are slugs? All the time. All the time. What the fuck? What? <laughs> We're just going to label them like that? Dude, now yeah. I start thinking, okay, did they go through a divorce recently? Right. Did they injure their back so bad that they can't get off the rig 30 times in one shift? Did they suffer for 10 years and then they decided, hey, well, you know what? My, my personal life is a little bit better when I sleep. Right. We can't just, you know. Assume. We can't assume, dude. I love... When someone tells me uh, the meaning of assuming, and yeah. it's, you're making an ass out of you, and you're making an ass out of me. Yeah. 
because of the way it's spelled, right? A S S U M E. So clever. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, you can't assume anything and you don't you don't understand what someone's going through in their own personal life. And that's why whenever time whenever I have a, a conflict with someone, instead of assuming and jumping into the conflict, I step back for a little bit and I acknowledge, okay, what may be happening to this person in their own personal life for them to come up to me and project themselves on me. Right. And every single time I ask that person, Hey, what's going on in your personal life? (laughs) Something's always coming up. Right. And I'm shifting that because I know there's, there's something else that's bottling up and they're taking it out on me. And that's okay. You know, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a punching bag. I have boundaries. Right. But I also acknowledge every single perspective that there could be. I may not do that all the time. I may, you know, if I'm off little sleep or if I'm not in a good place energetically or whatever, that part of my, my day, I could react differently. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I, I will take a step back. And if I do react a certain way that is not the best, I definitely am always quick to apologize. Yeah. And the narrative right there is you're a human being. Exactly. Right. You're allowed to Just make mistakes, experience. dude. It's all about the human experience and making mistakes. And it's important to acknowledge your fellow and to understand where they're coming from. And when you're looking someone in the eyes and acknowledge that they have a soul just like you, Mm -hmm. and you're just literally looking someone in the mirror. Right. And when you look past all the outer portions of this meat suit we have, and you see deeper into that, you see this person staring right back at you, and it's the same, same exact thing. Dude, when you just said eye contact, it reminded me, or looking someone in the eyes, it reminded me of uh, getting off shift <laughs> the other day. So there's a brand new rookie, okay? Yeah. And I wake up at six o'clock, right, to go make relief, and he's checking out the rig. Or he's talking to a guy on your shift first, right? So I walk by, he's in the middle of a conversation, so he doesn't introduce himself. I think, no big deal. So I'm walking out the walking around the rig, putting my stuff back, and I come back, he's checking out the rotary saw, and he kind of gives me like a good morning you know but like very very timid like no eye contact nothing like that right so now dude i grab my hat so now i'm walking by him for the third time okay and he doesn't say anything and i think to myself dude i have a moment i'm like am i gonna fuck this guy up right now and instead i thought how would i want to be talked to on my very first day he's clearly nervous right so i told him hey welcome you're here. It's your first day. I understand you got a million things on your mind, but I want to teach you one simple rule, okay? When someone walks by you who you don't know, you look them in the eyes, you shake their hand, and you tell them their, their, your first name. I said, I'm Trevor. Nice to meet you. And he told me his name. And that was it, right? And I, I was proud of myself, you know? And I, I, I said, I mentioned earlier that now I act like Leah's standing next to me. Dude, we're expecting right i'm i'm trying to act like I'm he probably older. was still shaking in his boots when he did that. <laughs> but now i'm trying to live in integrity i'm trying to act like i got my baby boy in my arms nice you know and it feels good dude and by 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 using so not just kind words for yourself by using kind words to others yeah dude i drove home feeling good yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like if I had fucked him up, I would have drove home like, dude, are you okay? Like <laughs> why are you being such an asshole? Yeah. So, dude, I want to get into a form of therapy that I tried. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. So, dude, I 
have mentioned that I've been open to seeing a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I tried a radical form of therapy last summer. And Leah is a very gifted researcher and she found a clinic that was offering ketamine therapy. So at the time, I was a little nervous, right? I was kind of like, nah, babe, like I, I feel okay. You know, I feel like I'm processing my grief in a healthy way. Um, I'm going to let you try it first and then I'll see, you know, if I want to join up. And she was, she was cool with that. But here's the reality, dude. I was going through some serious shit at that time where I was having anger spells. Mm. So I would literally get in an argument with her and I would get so angry that I would shut down for two days. And I know a lot of men that are like this, right? We can't, we, we can't handle their anger. We can't handle our anger. So we just go into like a shutdown phase. We can't regulate it. So it's almost like a reboot. And she called me out. She was like, are you serious? Like you're, you're my partner. Like you, you can't just like block me out. And I was like, I'm shutting down because I'm scared that if I say something, I'm going to say something mean. And I don't trust myself right now. And I'm feeling a lot of shame. And so it's like, I'm just like invisible. Like, I'm like, I want to disappear. I'm just going to like hide, you know? And that's bullshit. It's like the image of Homer Simpson, like disappearing <laughs> behind a bush. <laughs> that's one of my favorite gifts, too. I love it. I love it almost as much as uh, Terminator 2 going down into the molten lava with a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, dude. Okay, so, um, so I had to get honest with myself. So here I am telling my partner that I'm fine. I'm pretty far from fucking fine. So I enrolled. And... There was a pretty rigorous pre-screening process, but the reason that I'm telling this story is because we have incredible insurance and this clinic, you know, a lot of states, I think California is the only one offering this treatment therapy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So in a lot of states, if you're a millionaire, yeah, you can pay for 15 grand. You can get IV ketamine, right? Mm -hmm. So this clinic, what they offered was intranasal ketamine. Now, if you've heard of ketamine, you might have heard of a story at Coachella involving one of your friends going into a K-hole. This is very different, okay? This is in a clinical setting. That, like I said, I had to get pre-screened for basically having drug-resistant depression, Right, because I've tried Zoloft and it didn't work for me. It gave me more anxiety. So it's basically, you know, a, a form of treatment that is, you know, because you can't just take an antidepressant. Okay, but I really wanted. I felt like in order to be a responsible partner, in order to be the best version of me, I had to get my anger under control. Mm -hmm. You know, I threw a punch around this time and put a dent in my fridge, and I don't really remember doing it, dude. I kind of like blacked out. So if you see red, listen up. <laughs> so <laughs> this style of therapy, ketamine is an aesthetic. What it does, it's very similar to psilocybin and ayahuasca and um, all of these drugs that are basically showing you that you have a lot of love within you. So the reason that it was so helpful for me was because in the spirit of this podcast, in rewriting narratives, I was able to rewrite so many of my traumatic memories. Hmm. 
And the beautiful part about this clinic is they don't just offer ketamine, they offer EMDR. And if, if you've heard of EMDR, you, you might have heard of it in context of a friend of yours who's a veteran who had PTSD. I certainly knew a couple guys that were involved in the Boyd incident that were doing EMDR. And what it stands for is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So what it means is, you know, I did all of this via Zoom. So I was stacking EMDR with ketamine and it allowed me to go into, let's say, um, ultrasound rooms, which were the most triggering places on the planet for me because Leah and I often found out really bad news in those places. So I would sit down in this clinic. It was like a, like a spa setting. And I would sit down with um, you know a, a, a psychologist and I would... Um, inhale through my nose ketamine sprays intranasally and I would go into these memories and this is where I discovered that grief was underneath my anger and so as far as trying to tackle my anger in, in the first session realizing that my anger was just a, a mask you know mm -hmm. over all of this other things that I, w I was feeling I felt successful immediately and the beautiful part is we're talking about all these fear-based narratives under the power of ketamine there was no fear there was zero fear you're looking at it from like a neutral perspective neutral perspective but also one embraced in love hmm. one like nurtured you know like i felt like i was being nurtured and it was amazing. I dude, I would I'll give you an example. I went into I was having an argument with my mom at the time. I went into a ketamine session and the first thing that popped into my head was what's she going through? It was like she's probably doing her best. That probably felt like shit to have to lie to her son. All of this I just completely saw it from a different angle. Hmm. The best was one time I paired EMDR with um ketamine for a cardiac arrest uh, a pediatric cardiac arrest right and this is dude so this comes at a time where i'm leaning into being vulnerable i've had pediatric full arrest before that we'll talk about my partner and i were you know like through over the years but we don't actually talk about how much it hurts us we don't talk about how much it fucked us up so this is at a time where i'm leaning into the fact that warriors embrace the unknown you know, it, a true divine masculine welcomes his own vulnerability. So this call kind of fucked me up. So it was a 14-year-old girl. No one knew what happened. And the mom just, I could hear the mom crying a lot, right? I could just, I could just feel her grief well after the call. And so I chose this memory to bring into EMDR. And the way it works is you'll either track a laser from side to side of the room. I did it over Zoom, so I just picked two spots on the wall. And so you're basically using your eyes to go back and forth, back and forth to the sound of a metronome as you go in and you're like um, a detective. You're looking for all the details in the room. The best part about this experience is how quickly you reframe the narrative. So the first thing that came to mind was I'm in the underworld. I see so much death and dying. I see so much darkness. I am dark. We'd take a little break. We'd go back in. Then I'd start thinking about how much love and light is in my life. How grateful I am 
that I'm actually in balance. I'm actually strong enough to do this job and, and experience these tragic calls. And it all goes back to the language we choose to describe ourselves, right? right? It's too easy to call ourselves victims. Right. But all we have to do is reframe this narrative. If you're fighting with your parents, look at it from their angle. Are they doing the best they can? Probably, right? right? And is it unfair that I have to go to a, a dead kid? No, it's not unfair. I'm strong enough to do this job as long as I'm prioritizing my health off duty. Right. That's when shit started to get scary for me is when I was doing a tough job and I wasn't treating myself well. I wasn't talking to myself well. I wasn't saying, hey, dude, you might have complex PTSD. It's not normal for you to be angry. It's not normal for you to shut your partner out for two days. You might want to try to get healthy and get better. And it was one of the one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I did it six times. That's like a normal uh, treatment plan is six uh, different sessions where you're going to use ketamine intranasally. And I, you know, we've talked about addiction on this podcast before. If you're interested in this and you think that it's going to be a gateway or a slippery slope, listen to yourself. Find out what your intention is in this process. Because, right. you know, I've had a long life of partying. And what I knew was that ketamine for me was not recreational. Right. It was intentional. And the intention was to heal. And a screen, too. They make sure oh, that yeah. they do a, I mean, a heavy assessment on, on discovering absolutely. You know, what, a, dude, what your purpose is. And it's it, like and I was buying they, a house, how many things I had <laughs> signed, dude. But know this, dude. Our insurance pays for this. I didn't even have a copay. And if you're hurting, this is outside the department. You don't even have to get the behavioral psychologist involved. And this is a very helpful tool. And then you have a therapist to integrate your experience as well. Absolutely. You have you have a lot of options here. And they don't just do, um, you know, just ketamine. They do a bunch of other things. And this facility, they want to target firefighters, police officers, veterans. They know we need help. They they really had reached out and want this 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 place to assist. And looking into ketamine, uh, you know, it is actually a fascinating medicine. Very fascinating. Because it improves neuroplasticity. Yes. It's been known to do that. And it reduces brain swelling. Right. And so for us, when we are high stressed, cortisol pumps through your body, you don't get sleep, your brain starts to swell. That's why you get headaches and you get increased uh, cranial pressure within right. your head. And so ketamine assists that and it's and it works well for TBI. So I, I actually enrolled and I'm going to start doing it as well. Nice. Along with the uh, the TMS treatment, which is like magnetizing. Um, they just basically use magnets and, and assist in, you know, tearing away at, uh, the scar tissue you have from TBI. Okay. And they use ketamine with it. And so I've, I've enrolled. I haven't done it yet, but... I'm excited for you. The best, and, dude, the best metaphor that I ever heard for neuroplasticity was you have grooves, right? Picture like a, a ski mountain. Picture mammoth, right? And all the people are taking the same lines. 
down through the moguls, you know, and each day, you know, each, each run, right. The groove is going to get deeper and deeper. And that's how our brain works. We're yeah. going to choose the path of least resistance. And it's like these, these medicines, it's like a, it's like a fresh snow, mm. you know, and, and you're free, nice. you're free to create these new lines that you want to take. And for me, dude, for me to use this as an assistance to the work that I was doing outside of this, the work that I was already doing on how to like be careful with my language, right. how to talk to myself with more kindness and compassion, how to take, you know, how to forgive myself. That's that fresh snow for me, you know? Yeah. So how, do, how can I do things differently? Do I have to be a victim to my patterns and conditioning? Right. Or can I get honest with myself and say, no, I want to live better? I know uh, a fireman who used ketamine because he was so his nervous system was so out of sync with his body and he had gotten his cortisol levels tested and it was through the roof mm. he ended up doing a ketamine infusions he paid out of pocket for it and it reduced it almost like 90 percent. yeah and so it does things to your body and to your nervous system it calms things down mm -hmm. and allows you to come back to neutrality for your your whole regulated system that's right. dysregulated through this career and it assists many people. So, I mean, Dr. Dan Engel, I had mentioned him before. Yeah. He's an advocate for TBI uh, because he himself had suffered multiple concussions. Like his last concussion, he broke his neck. Mm -hmm. And he used ketamine to reduce and, and help build neural pathways and reduce the, the swelling in his brain. And it's very beneficial for anyone with TBI, PTSD. And he uses it in a therapeutic setting because it's been able to help people work through heavy, heavy trauma. Right. And he tells this story uh, about how this, this woman was just, um, she had worked through some serious sexual assault and she was doing ketamine and she was able to work through the process of understanding the situation because she had disassociated herself and blocked out many of the memories and she mm -hmm. had to look into them you have to look into them and so you know what we're doing here is as for this podcast and leading into these alternative medicines is that none of this is cosmetic what we're doing here is going straight into it and pulling it by the root and and taking it out mm -hmm. and so you can trim the hedges or trim the hairs of something as much as you want and pick at it with a toothpick but unless you pull it by the root that's how that's how you really get rid of PTSD right. and get rid of traumatic experiences because unless you lean into the situation and you work through what it's teaching you, because mm -hmm. there's a lesson through all of this, Absolutely. it doesn't matter how, how the circumstance had created itself, how terrible it can be. What you have to do is find the lesson, find the beauty that's underneath it. And then that's where your truth is. Yes. That's where the beauty is that's involved here. And our purpose here is, is just really, shift the perspective and shift the mindset of how there are assistance there is assistance from other medicines other programs that are fast-tracked yes and so for us as firefighters and other you know police officers and veterans we need a fast-track program because it's it's, it's very difficult yeah. and our lifestyle is very complex yeah and for us to find a, a fast-track program that's going to be able to assist you and shift things quickly for you and you're, you're able to work through things you're like holy holy shit I, I did not think i was gonna be able to work through something like that and just find the beauty in it and discover like wow it this blows me away yeah like i don't want to kill myself 
anymore. Like I, yeah. I don't. That that is not something that I don't even have that as an intrusive thought anymore. Yeah. Like I said, like I dream of a long life with Leah, and I'm not saying that that's only because of ketamine. But ketamine, I spent six weeks doing it, right? And you're going to speak to an internal medicine doctor. You're going to speak to a nurse practitioner, a psychiatrist, all these things, right? And one of them told me to to take time off of work. I said that's not possible. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I started scheduling my my sessions on a four day. And the beauty of it is that after six weeks of work, I still reference the lessons that I learned. And, you know, one of the things that's so simple, I was so close-minded. I looked at things from my own perspective, and I didn't consider different angles, you know? And, and unfortunately, it's too easy to consider things from one perspective when you're in survival mode. Right. That one perspective is fear. Right. So what ketamine taught me was that love is more powerful than fear. Hmm. And if I can be more compassionate and more kind and try to see the best in people, you know what I'm saying? And that's yeah. why like, I hold space for Leah now. I used to, when she, we would argue, all I would do was just like react and, and defend myself. She wouldn't hmm. even get a word out. Now I'm comfortable in my skin. I'll give her time to speak her truth. And then I'll speak mine. And it's not about right versus wrong. Sometimes there's two rights. And that's what it's helped me do is from now on, when I have um, a traumatic incident or when I have an argument, disagreement with someone at work, I really try to see where they're coming from. Because I don't know everything. And we always know this on our job, right? We're, we're one of four on that engine. And if you see something, speak up. And that's that's the beauty of it is it's we're not just listening to one person. So for 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 me, right, I had to get my own narrative under control, and I also had to be open minded enough to consider other people's perspectives. Without a doubt. Yeah. And by all means, I mean we're we are not uh, doctors. We're not specialists. What? But you know what's interesting <laughs> though is we are still. Uh, professionals in the medical field we are paramedics mm -hmm. and what's interesting though is we are exposed to so many human beings on our job yeah too thousands many. of human beings right and yeah. our experience with each and every one of these from who knows what you know it could be something so simple someone's struggling with with some depression you know and they, and they call 911 and they and who shows up we show up yeah and you could have someone who's really struggling with something a physical ailment and something that's traumatic on the freeway or whatever it's we are exposed to so many human beings that we are actually an arena in an arena of human behavior where we become masters in this field and our exposure to this gives us a high probability of understanding the human experience right and really connecting with people and being able to really understand uh, what people may be coming from mm -hmm. and you know, that is our expertise, is right. human experiences. Reading the room. And human behavior. And even in inside of a fire station, I mean, talk about human behavior, right? We always talk about this concept being in a squirrel cage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's so so true, right? You yeah. have so many different personalities. You're forced to maneuver around. And it's just a, a really fascinating thing to see. And it's remarkable, how much exposure we have in this career. I mean, I mentioned it before. We're in the we're in the city in one of the highest populated cities, densely populated in the nation, mm -hmm. maybe even the world. Yeah. Right? And we're in the middle of it, in the muck. Yeah. And 
throughout all this, I mean, if you're not taking care of yourself and you step into this field, I mean, good luck. It's going to really take you down. It can be a ticking time bomb. Without you know, a doubt. like I said, the first year in COVID, it was thrilling, you know, right. and the first three years of my career was thrilling. It was thrilling, not sleeping, you know, and then it started to catch up to me. Right. So like, you know, I've always embraced change. Right. I've always thought of myself as someone who's evolving, you know, and like I said, I can rewrite narratives. So you got to arm yourself, you know, yeah. and like we said, we're always just talking about tools in the toolbox. I rejected Leah's invitation to Academy the first time. Right. And then I started to watch myself sort of watch how I was reacting in arguments, how I was basically like a victim to my own anger. Right. You know, I was out of control. I had no idea how to take back control from my own anger. And so I needed help. And we've always preached humility on this podcast. And dude, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know what? I'm not an expert on psychiatry. <laughs> like I'm not an expert on therapy. And I've always been... A huge advocate for go talk to an expert you know yeah. like i like you said we're, we're great at at seeing people on you know the worst day of their lives and seeing sick or not sick critical or not critical but when it comes to the mind you know only you know right only you know if you're living in integrity if your your narrative is true and means something to you right and so again just offering tools for the toolbox dude without a doubt well, good talking to you as always. Thanks, your brother. You cool with? Yeah, we can close with that. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, John. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening.